You're listening to The Catalyst with Samantha Chris, where we explore the inner workings of embracing the unknown, from ordinary daily habits to extraordinary measures. Get ready, we're about to ignite change and inspire action. With me today is love coach Diana Iskander. Diana helps women in their 30s and 40s find and keep love. With the sole mission to remind women of their worth, Diana believes that a healthy relationship with love offers a foundation to experience life in full abundance. She's helped hundreds of women around the world create the love they want. Diana, I am so glad to have you on the show with us today. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Yay. Okay, so I have to ask, how did you decide to become a love coach? Decide wasn't really part of the equation. (laughs) So the way it happened, okay, I don't even know. I can go as far back as being like, I think I was somewhere between seven and nine years old. Um, My sister is seven years older than me and she would come home after school with her friends and they would literally like form a circle around me and ask me advice about their love lives. Um, And I, you know, I just was kind of always that go-to person who people called for relationship advice. Not to say I didn't make a ton of my own like quote unquote mistakes along the way in my own love life, but I was just always that go-to person. And then in 2014, I started a blog called Ask Diana, which is still running. And I've been posting an article now two articles there every week and it was really about like being more conscious and aware mostly speaking in your love life and i started to host meetups and just like really want to have a conversation about this with no real clue as to where it was gonna go and then a few people started to ask me for one-on-one sessions Um, so I did that for a while and I just explored and I dabbled there. Like I did it for free. It was just doing it purely from passion and understanding what makes people tick and what works. And then I started to get a lot of referrals and testimonials. And then the first woman who asked me, what is your rate? I mean, that's really like everything snowballed from there. Mm. And so then it all just really grew organically. And and then down the line, I decided like, I really want to get certified only when the right certification makes its way to me. I was waiting for that and it did. And I, you know, just to like really, really dive in. And it's just been this incredibly organic journey and has developed into this like really thriving coaching practice. That's incredible. I want to rewind for a second back to seven-year-old Diana, who's being (laughs) asked for relationship advice, which I think is fabulous. Did at any point, did you think that this, maybe not at seven, but at any point growing up, did you think this could actually be a career? Like not really, but I remember there, like I can think back to certain conversations, for example, with my sister where she was like, you know, one day you should have something like a hotline where you just get people out of their jams. And like, it was just something we joked about or whenever like she would be in debate with someone, she'd be like, let's call Diana, let's ask Diana. And, and I think there were just seeds being planted that I had no sweet clue that this was even a possibility like I didn't know that this was something that could even exist as an option in my life. I think that's the beauty of where we're at, you know, in the digital era and just in where we're at in humanity in general is that we have 
more control now than we ever have to do what we want to do to monetize our skill set and to say, you know what, I'm actually quite passionate about this. I've done the due diligence. I've had my certifications done. I'm now in a position to start charging for this and make significant impact in the world, which I think is incredible. It's we're so, I feel so blessed to be alive right now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I have to, you know, I I have to, I really want to understand a little bit how this has impacted your own love life. And this question stems from, I know I've worked with psychologists, uh, both, you know, they've been my clients, I've been their clients, and there's this kind of stigma once they get home after hours and they're at the kitchen table and whether it's their partner or their kids, they're like, oh, don't go psychology mode on me right now. (laughs) We are family, you're not working. And I've definitely had that feedback as a coach myself, I find it really easy to slip into guidance mode. And whether I'm with friends or family, it can be totally unsolicited. And I'm just like, well, here's my opinion. (laughs) And they're like, hang on a second. Nobody asked. (laughs) And so how has, you know, long, long roundabout way to ask, how has being a love coach impacted your own love life and relationship? Well, it's had only the most incredible impact because like I, I cannot do this work with integrity if I am not like, and I always get this, the saying wrong, like walking my walk or walking my talk. (laughs) One of those, I can't do this with integrity if I'm not practicing it at home. So what really it is for me at the end of every day is like a reminder to check in with how I'm showing up in my love life. And then also to bring my lessons learned, like, you know, the, the, my growing edges in my relationship or the things that I'm noticing that I can really evolve and change. Like I, I'm very authentic in bringing those lessons back to my clients or my readers. And so I feel they really just beautifully feed each other. And yes, I, I like, I sometimes go into coach mode, let's say with my husband. I mean, my son doesn't know yet that I'm doing this with him because he's only a few years old. But I I think I've got a pretty good handle on now. It's taken me a few years to just sit back and just be in the experience and not feel like I have to really like solve someone's problem or come in with my opinion. And it, it just allows me to like engage more honestly and just more in a relaxed way with people outside of like, if we're not in a coaching session, even when people come to me at events and kind of start to try to direct a conversation where I will then maybe coach them, I've gotten pretty good with those boundaries. So I'm like, this is not the time or the place for that. And sometimes I'll even just say that. Those boundaries are really important. And it's good to hear that you pull those through into the home. I think it's a lesson that no matter anyone's profession, no matter what they're doing, what their relationship status is that you know, work just is so consuming. We spend so much of our time working with clients, with our teams, and we have to make a mindful and conscious decision to turn that off, which doesn't mean you can't pull those lessons through, but to recognize that you don't have to be on in those moments to still fully appreciate what you've learned and how you've grown to, you know, really plant that seed in your own relationship. Yes, totally. 
I particularly like your approach to love because when we talk about love, we often say things like, find, like we want to find love or we're falling in love, but you help women create it. So can you explain what the difference is between finding love and falling in love and creating it and how you help women do that? Such a good, it's such a good question. So I'm going to start with falling in love because I'm not particularly a fan of that statement. And I will sometimes use it because I know it's just a really, like it just, this is what we, we're used to this way of explaining things, but I don't love it because falling <laughs> generally is painful. And <laughs> I, <laughs> I'm just not a fan of setting the stage for it to be something that's painful. And so while I know something like rising in love sounds like a little over cheese, like I really prefer something like that instead, just because it evokes this completely different sentiment and like trajectory I find for like that beginning stage when you are just like really starting to connect with someone romantically. Mm. So falling in love is something I just try to stay away from altogether. Finding love the thing with that is that that's like you're putting on this lens where like I'm, I'm totally good with being aware of where love is and like noticing love around you and really just having on the lens where you're able to look at couples and, and, and like feel good about seeing that love or see kids playing or whatever, however you define love. But finding has this energy of like searching and seeking. And it's almost like this game of hide and go seek, right? It's like, it just makes it feel like it's out of reach. Creating for me is so much more powerful because it puts you in the driver's seat and it really like you are co-creating this experience. So if you're working with me, for example, it's like we're starting from the inside out. So what are we creating as your internal landscape? And then how are we like, what are you creating as a vision of what it is that you'd like to experience? And then what's the roadmap we're co-creating together for you to, to experience that in your actual, like, real life? So it's this inside-outside experience. And creating just is really allows you to start taking steps even when there's no one there. Does that make sense? It does make a ton of sense. I'm, I guess, I don't want to say pessimistic. That's not true. But I will say that if I met someone and a couple dates in, they were saying, I have totally co-created this experience and have absolutely just manifested you into my life. Whether you know it or not, I've got this roadmap that you're now part of. Like I would be a little freaked out. Oh, totally. <laughs> and so I do not suggest you say those things. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I understand and really appreciate the sentiment and the energy and the mindset shift, but how do you then you know, pull that through into the relationship and getting to know someone without seeming like you've done all this work up front and now they're just a pawn in your plan? Ooh, that's a good question. So first of all, the plan was never really about like one specific person. The plan mm -hmm. is actually really more about how you are showing up in your own life and how you're embodying really and truly like your most empowered self. So it's not like this ploy or this game to get someone. It's really just about stepping in more fully to you so that when you're on that date, you're on those first few dates with that person, the way you're showing up is the version of you you would 
just want to be in general and not just in your romantic life. So maybe it's more relaxed, more at ease, more present, more able to just like laugh, you know, like that deep belly laughter. So it's not about kind of like, this is how I'm going to draw you in. It's more about this is how I'm going to show up. Does that, does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. That's, that's really helpful. And I think an important distinction is that like anything in life, really, I mean, we are only in control of the way we show up and the perspective that we bring to the table. And so getting ahead of that before engaging with someone and building a life with someone or exploring to see if a life with them is even possible, I do appreciate that we need to do our own work first. Yeah, we need to do our own work first. And we need to clarify for ourselves, like what it is that we really do want so that we're more easily able to identify it and also walk away more quickly from the like potential or possibilities that aren't really aligned to our visions. So it's not about like any specific strategy to make someone want you. I absolutely do not resonate when I see those kind of things online. It's really and truly about like just getting more clear about who you are, how you want to show up, what you want to experience with someone and just being confident to experience that when you do meet different people. So you bring up good point in getting to know yourself and what you want and the experience you want to have. I can imagine that there's sometimes a discrepancy between what we want and the way we've been conducting ourselves and behaving or thinking in prior relationships. Mm-hmm. So how important is the concept of change when creating the love that we want? I love this. So I like to call certain moments like love changing moments. And I actually just did a video on this yesterday. Um, For example, when I first met Jack, who is now my husband, there was this moment where I had made him dinner and he offered to do the dishes. And my instinct was to just be like, oh, no, 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 I got this. Let's just relax. I'll do it later. I'll do it tomorrow. And for me, it was like a love changing moment to say, okay, sure. Thank you. That is so nice. And to graciously accept the support that he was offering, knowing that if this is really someone that I potentially will spend a significant amount of time with, even if it was just a few months, that that is the kind of person I want to be with, is someone who is hands-on with me and someone who's just as engaged. So it's like those, those they're sometimes so sh- subtle, these changes, but it's about that awareness of like, I want to move towards this new way of being in this new way of experiencing things so i have to change some things up like what have i done in the past that just hasn't worked for me let me get really really honest about that and make some solid changes and they don't like it's sometimes it's really these small incremental changes and they lead to these massive transformations but it really is about how have i been showing up up until now in my love life in a way that isn't really serving me how do I want to show up and what are the steps to bridge that gap? Mm. That's pretty powerful. And I know I, I get this feedback a lot from my, for myself as well. Anyone who's living a relatively public life, anyone who's put themselves out there, who is creating content regularly, specifically in the coaching or mentoring realm, mm-hmm. 
it's easy for people to think that as professionals, we have it figured out. You mentioned that you went through kind of your fair share of stumbles in your relationships. Can you walk us through a couple of the changes that you had to make that you're now integrating as part of your coaching practice? Oh, that's a beautiful question, Samantha. So the first chunk of like, the, like really, I had three significant relationships in my life and before meeting Jack. And when I would, I broke up with every single one of those partners and I was very much like in love with every one of them when I left, but it was realizing that I kept getting to this place where it was like, okay, I'm here again. I can't seem to get what I want from you. You don't appreciate me the way I think I'm supposed to be appreciated. And then realizing, like it's obvious enough, but realizing like I'm the common denominator. And if I'm not being appreciated in my relationships, it is because I'm not appreciating myself, Mm. right? So like I I am central to this pattern. There is no escaping that truth. So for me, it really then began as this like journey. Okay, what does it mean to actually appreciate myself? Like, what does that truly mean? So being kinder with my thoughts, choosing actions that actually aligned with where I wanted to go and what I wanted to experience. Um, Even the way, you know, I describe myself to people is like always choosing to lean into my strengths and what I loved about myself. So setting boundaries is a huge one too. And it just became this practice of like self appreciation and it is an ongoing journey. So that is not something that ends on that journey when I met Jack, it was a clear turn of events. Like it was a clear shift of dynamics where suddenly there was this man standing in front of me who adored me, respected me, showed up consistently, um, and was really reflecting back to me, my sense of worthiness. What I'll say though, is that even now in marriage, there, it's not always perfect harmony. And as soon as it, when it isn't, before I even attempt to look at what Jack could do differently or has done, I always look within first. What is going on with me and how is that spilling over into my relationship? So the work doesn't end. And I never want to, for a moment, imply that my relationship is always perfect. What it is, though, is two people truly willing to grow and look at themselves and look at each other honestly. Oof. I got goosebumps. <laughs> I mean, that's the goal, right? It's having that open dialogue. It's being able to honestly communicate with each other and saying, this is what I need. This is how I'm feeling. And I've recognized that part of what's gotten me to this point, either a fear or unhappiness or insecurity you know, I have ownership to take in that situation. Yes. For people who are listening and are thinking that is really the goal to be in a relationship where we are both equally committed to growth, where we want to show up for each other, but perhaps they're encountering some roadblocks. What are some of the kind of perhaps telltale signs, if there are any, that there needs to be some work done on their relationship? Okay. So speaking in the context of like actually being in a relationship. Yes. 
So some of the things that you can start to pop up are like when you really just feel disconnected and you want to start to, you know, be like, oh, we need more date nights. You need to be more romantic. We don't talk enough. Um, or, you know, just kind of really feeling like you're always pointing the lens at your partner mm -hmm. and what they could do differently. That's usually a really good cue that you want to actually stop and look within yourself first. So it's not to say that your partner doesn't have some stepping up to do, but what you really want to do is look at your own emotions, really understand what's going on within you because wanting them to be romantic might not actually be the truth of what you're looking for. Right. So like you might say, can you just like buy me flowers once a month? But that's <laughs> not actually what it is that you're seeking. It might be, but chances are there's something a lot deeper than that, that you want to just take some time to peel back those layers a little bit on your own, on your own time, and then keep bringing it into the relationship. And what I always say is like the best way, somebody asked me, how do you balance personal gro growth with relationship growth? And honestly, they're not separate. You grow as an individual and you bring that growth into your relationship, right? They're really, they're really, really not separate. And so then when you've peeled back some of the layers, you can bring the core and the truth of what it is you really want to communicate to your partner. What's really important though, is to make sure that the environment feels safe because usually what people do is so the cues start popping up like you're feeling like they need to help more around the house they need to be romantic you want to go out on more dates and so the environment starts to become really tense between the two of you either let's say you're doing the blaming and they're getting defensive that's not a breeding ground for for a growth oriented conversation it just mm -hmm. isn't it's likely to create more frustration and more resentment so what you want to do is actually just like practice settling the vibe for a couple of weeks like really just commit to like no matter how triggered i get i'm going to deal with that trigger and i'm going to try to create just this like calm peaceful environment so that then we can have some real conversations with the core of what it is that we actually need to talk about speaking of talking through those things there's one thing i've learned which has like blown my mind is that we have different love languages yes so can you explain what some of those are? Because I think it is such a game changer to realize that the way in which you are showing and expressing love may not be the best way for your partner or your significant other to receive it, or it may not be landing in the way in which you intended. Oh, it's so good. So, I mean, I'm not, this is not my expertise. Um, so my, my top love language is words of appreciation. I love to be praised <laughs> and my husband loves to do things for me. And so I just, knowing that I know that when he is cooking a meal or like, you know, doing the dishes or picking up something that I need or offering to help me with something in my business, that's truly his way of showing me that he loves me and so it's kind of like separating expectations from intentions and realizing that while i might have this one expectation his intention is still to be showing me love he's just doing it in a different way and mm -hmm. vice versa right knowing how he likes to be loved and how i'm doing it maybe there's some room for adjustments so that i can actually give him love in the way he most craves it 
Something on that note too, though, is I really love to use your individual love language as a way to kind of shower yourself with self-love. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of talk about that, right? And so some people confuse it with like, or not confuse it, but it, you know, is it, does it mean that I have to take a bath? Does it mean that I have to work out? Does it mean that I have to journal? Well, what I love to say is if, if words of appreciation, for example, like myself is your way of craving love the most, what that really means is like, there's a little child inside of you that's like, please tell me I'm enough. Mm. And if you just do that for yourself, that hunger for it won't be so intense. And so you won't, it's like one less thing to turn to your partner to be like, you absolutely need to do this thing for me, or I cannot be happy in this relationship. It's like, you can take a little bit of that pressure off, do it for yourself. And they will be more inspired to then like when you're feeling pretty good and say, you know, I just love when you tell me I'm beautiful that's like, of course they want to give you more of that. Right. But how many people actually take the time to say, this is, this is what I need. And beyond that, how many people take the time to actually identify what they really need? Yeah. Not very many. It's so much easier for us to just say like, this is what you're doing wrong, or this Mm -hmm. is what you're not doing enough of rather than sitting with ourselves, like, what is it that I'm actually needing so that I'm not just like throwing spaghetti at the wall and hoping that that's what sticks and makes me feel better. Like if I could just take some time before complaining to my partner to understand what I really need, then I can bring that to them. And if your partner is at all willing to grow with you and is committed to this relationship, they are going to hear you out. Right. And I think there's a a real lesson here around the topic of change and I, in relationships, not just romantic ones, but that if we are expecting a situation or a relationship to change, we have to put in our work too. It's not enough to say, I don't like the way you're doing things. You're doing things wrong. This is what I need you to do differently, but rather here's how I'm going to meet you halfway, or here's what I'm going to commit to as well to ensure that, you know, we, we succeed. Yes. Completely. And, and what I love too is to, to help my clients remember like who they really were being when they first met their partner and to bring some of that back into the relationship is it's so it's exciting. It's like coming back to those beginning days. It can bring up all, it can bubble up all these feelings of like love and intimacy and connection and excitement and passion. And that's a really beautiful place to then be like, okay, let's keep this going, Mm. right? Let's keep building on this. Yeah. And so I, I, you know, we talk about love. We think about, like you said, the passion and the romance and keeping that spark alive, but the reality is we're human and we cannot operate from a place of love and passion and flames and romance at every minute of the day. And we feel different emotions. And oftentimes, you know, for better, or for worse, we're seeing our partners and significant others through that range of emotion. And one of your mm-hmm. recent posts has sparked a ton of interesting conversations, which I'd like to kind of bring into the fold here. Yes. Is you, you, wrote a post on how to love someone whose go-to emotion is anger. Mm -hmm. So in those moments where we're not talking romance, we're not talking passion, but someone has had a bad day, someone doesn't know how to cope with emotion, whatever the circumstance, they go to anger immediately. Mm -hmm. How 
how do you love someone? How do you show up for someone fully whose default emotion is anger? Mm. Yeah, I wrote that post in response to a woman who asked that specific question exactly in those words. Um, And here's the thing. Anger is an emotion just like any other, and it deserves and needs to be expressed, right? And I know as a society, we're not so comfortable with anger, myself included. Like, it's not a very familiar emotion for me to feel. I can feel frustrated, and I've definitely felt anger, but it's not a common emotion for me. So really what it is, is like when you're when that's your partner's go-to, First of all, you just have to give them the space to feel that anger and really start to observe them the way you would almost even like when you're raising a child, right? Because what your partner, when your partner is going into that angry space, it usually is like this little inner child where their mind goes when they're out of alignment and maybe their go-to emotion is anger. So it's observing them in the same light to be like, okay, well, this is typically what they need when they go to this space. So allowing yourself to give them that. So whether it be like they need space or maybe they need you there to listen to what they're going through and kind of just really noticing what it is that they most need, but also knowing your boundaries is so important. So like, yes, it's okay for someone to express anger as it is for them to express any other emotion. You also just have to notice when it's starting to drain you or really impact you and how you're feeling day to day and maybe your confidence and your possible emotional well-being and know like then that's when you tell them you have to you know this anger that you have I want you to feel it I want you to express it I'm gonna have to, to like step away for a minute while you deal with that because I know that it's not good for me to take that on So it's not about trying to change it in them or trying to make them a different person, but knowing that you have your boundaries in that too. And if that person is not willing to, for themselves, like seek some outlet, you also need to know that you you either have to accept it how it is, look at it differently, or be willing to walk away because you cannot change someone. Mm. And that's a really important message. Like you're never stuck, but sometimes the choices are hard. And for the person who's angry, I mean, there could be a a form of therapy that they want to use. I really think physical outlets are great for releasing anger. I'm not so sure that talk therapy is the best solution for anger. I think like releasing it through some form of physical activity in a safe environment is a really powerful way to release that emotion. But I think in general, we just need to get more comfortable with a range of emotions, right? And, and, and really allowing ourselves to feel them first because as we feel them, we're more comfortable with others feeling them too. I love that you mentioned that we have to create, kind of create that space, almost a container for that person to feel it. And one thing you mentioned in this post, which I is in one hand, it's kind of common sense, but on the other, it's a really good reminder that we are not anyone's punching bag. Yeah. That we cannot just take the brunt of the anger of, of any emotion really. And I, I, even when it comes to being really happy and really in love, I don't think that it's healthy either to be the only source, the only outlet for someone's expression of love and happiness either. That's such a good point. That's such a good point. 
It's so true. And it is like, you need to remember too, at the end of the day, that when it comes to anger, you know, if someone just refuses to evolve or learn or find their way out of that, you can still love them from a distance. And I mean, that is the true definition of unconditional love and not an easy decision to make, but choosing to separate from something that isn't good for you is a great decision for yourself and that other person. And it doesn't mean that you, you, the love stops, Mm. right? It just means setting your boundary. Like even if my son who's two years old is having a tantrum, like he can have his tantrum all he wants, but what I will not allow him to do is like, for example, come and hit me. Like that is just, that's not acceptable for me. That is a boundary that I set even with a two year old. So you can have your emotion. I'm still going to love you, but I'm creating a bit of distance in the meantime. And how do you find that experience for someone, perhaps they've been in a relationship for a number of years and they've just both grown accustomed to how they respond or react to each other. And all of a sudden one person says, no, actually I'm going to be putting up some boundaries here. This is where I draw the line. I can imagine that would have a little bit of resistance or pushback. And so if someone's in a situation where they're thinking and they're listening and they're saying, yeah, you know, I, I could probably implement a few stronger boundaries. How can they best do so in a way that won't set off their partner? Yeah, it's a good question. I would definitely take it in baby steps. And the first step being just don't add any fuel to the fire. So often that is what we do. Like we're really resistant to the anger. It's like, it's, you know, it's triggering. It's highly, highly triggering. And so you might throw something in there. Like, of course, this is how you're going to react or like you always react this way or whatever the statement might be that then triggers them in return and the anger just like really intensifies. So the first way you can start is just like allowing it to kind of um, settle. So it's almost like imagine you're driving a car. If you're going really fast in one direction, so let's say the direction has been like your partner gets angry, then maybe you make a comment, then they get angrier, then everything intensifies. You're going really quick in one direction. You can't just turn that car around suddenly, which is what you're saying here too, right? Like you can't just like make all these sudden changes. But what you can do is take your foot off the gas, allow it to slow down enough so that you can then slowly start turning in the other direction. Right. So curveball. I have a few friends who will talk about oh yeah, we fight all the time, but you know, it's normal. We get over it. Or that has become the benchmark or the, the post for emotion. And if it's mm-hmm. not fighting and if it's not anger and if it's not red hot, then it's not love. It's not passion. Oh. And so how, how can people who are familiar with being in that constant state get to become a little more comfortable with toning it down a little bit? Oh, that's a good question. So I think the first thing to ask yourself is, what is that feeding you? Like really and truly. So that fiery like state where you're just like often angry at each other. And it's just like, you're, you're really used to that set point. How is that impacting you really and truly? How is it impacting your relationship? And what is it like, what void is it really filling? Hmm. What are you guys avoiding by having these arguments? Is it connection? And then start to really allow yourself to sit in a picture of if we weren't always fighting, 
what would we talk about? What would we do? What could we do instead? What could our relationship become? And what would that actually build for our lives? What I always suggest doing is seeing your partner as really and truly your partner. So if we were talking about this in the context of business, it would be very obvious for us that business partners who are constantly fighting are not leaving space for their business to really evolve and grow the way it could. Mm, good point. So if you look at your partnership in the same light, if you weren't always fighting, how could your lives evolve together? What else could be possible for you? Where else could you redirect that energy? And how could you replace the fighting with some other form of passion? Interesting. So for those listening who are saying, yes, this resonates <laughs> on any level, not just the anger, but in creating love, in strengthening the communication and the partnership with our significant other, or realize that perhaps there are some areas of improvement, what is the best way for them to get in touch with you? The best way to get in touch, uh, you can send me an email, hello at dianaiskander.com, and we can just have a chat and see what it is that you're needing and if coaching is a fit. Um, if you feel like just dabbling for starters, you can go to just dianaiskander.com and check out my blog. You can sign up there for the weekly newsletter. My, my posts are pretty strong. I offer a lot of value in my posts. So if you just want to get familiar with my message and like perspective on love and relationships and just start there, then I would highly suggest you do that. And then when you're feeling inspired, then let's have a chat. Beautiful. And you also do speaking as well, right? I do. What kind of topics do you bring either to the panel or to the stage? Talking about vulnerability, um, talking about being your most confident and empowered self in a relationship, uh, triggers, like why you're triggered in relationships and what to do with those triggers, how to create relationship visions and, and sort of like your own personalized roadmap. Mm -hmm. um, and one of my favorites too is really talking about how your relationship is a reflection of your internal landscape. So whatever you're seeing on the outside is a reflection of what's going on inside for both you and your partner. And realizing that really, really empowers you because then you really can start to create the change from the inside out. So I love to dig into that and really show some like real life examples of how that is absolutely true and how then you can start to shift the dynamic in your relationship by shifting what's happening inside, just even paying attention to yourself first and foremost. Mm -hmm. This has been such a great conversation. Thank you so much for taking the time and sharing your expertise, Diana. It really has. It's such a pleasure. I always know a conversation with you is going to be a beautiful one. I'll make sure to drop all the links to Diana's social pages, her YouTube channel, her blog in the show notes. So if you want more information, don't be shy. Please reach out. She is every bit as wonderful as she seems. And I encourage you to connect. Friends, thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of The Catalyst with Samantha Chris. If you like what you heard, be sure to leave us a review and subscribe so you never miss an episode. Until next time, I hope you're feeling a little more equipped to lean into the unknown and take inspired action.